Taking off his spectacles, as was his habit, before enunciating a general truth, he looked into them sadly and remarked that the darker races are physically attracted by the fairer, but not vice versa. Not a matter for bitterness, this, not a matter for abuse, but just a fact which any scientific observer will confirm. Welcome to W5H. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. A podcast where we explore ideas through books and discussion. I'm one of your co-hosts, Duki Danukaryanto. And I'm your other co-host, David Shu. Let's crack those books open and get started. Right, Luki, we are back after a bit of a break. Yes, indeed. To discuss to discuss a passage to India by E. M. Forster. Luki, it is great to talk to you again. We're back in the saddle of W five H season two. It's always a pleasure, Mr. Shu. How's it been so far? <laughs> it's been okay. It's an interesting reading experience. We're really hopping about. I t- I told some people about what we're doing and explain our reading list to date and they're like that's like really random (laughs) there's no obvious connection between these books so we're going with that flow and we chose something completely different for this month yeah so a a passage to india is what we chose Uh, i guess it comes they're they're not all random because they come from some sort of top something list out there (laughs) but i guess what would be more helpful if they all came from the same (laughs) top something list out there Yeah, this was in a bunch of these like top 100 great novels Mm -hmm. lists, right? And jumped out at me because I actually really like reading novels about India. Um, It's just an interesting hobby of mine, but I've never really read any by British authors, right? A lot of the newer writing from India comes from Indian Mm -hmm. authors who are writing in English, but this is actually a bit different. This book comes from about 100 years ago and is written by a British man who lived in India during the colonial time. So that was why it jumped out at me. Uh, Actually, there was no other reason, really. (laughs) Right? And I wanted something a bit more modern because we've been slogging it through different centuries and we've kind of decided, let's focus on the 20th century. So here we are landing in the subcontinent. Yeah. So maybe you should give us... I actually am really looking forward to this. You're going to give us the breakdown <laughs> synopsis of who is E.M. Forster and what is this book about. Loki, take it away. Sure. So E.M. Forster, author, apparently he's got a couple of notable works under his belt, uh, A Room with a View, Howard's End, and obviously this book, A Passage to India. And I treat them as notable because those were the ones that were turned into movies. <laughs> and probably one of the reasons why I said okay to it because yeah I've, I've actually heard the name before in various contexts mm. well like yeah I again never read any of the books or watched any of the movies but it's like this sounds familiar so this mm. this uh, gentleman Ian Forster apparently he started with a pretty big inheritance uh, out there which allowed him to live a life to focus on his writing and I guess when you spend a life focused on something without having to deal with I guess the trivialities of earning a living, <laughs> then, then you can probably mm. get good at it. So he actually has quite a few uh, books, those three that we mentioned, and then a couple of them uh, as well. As you mentioned, he spent time in, in India, and I guess some of them are related to his escapades. Apparently, some of his works got him some literary awards. And uh, yeah, during his time, he was very much a celebrated author. So he seems like... Uh, 
if it wasn't for this book, it might have been any of the other ones <laughs> that we could have put. Mm. put. And I think this one specifically was, uh, again, on one of those top something lists <laughs> that, that we saw and seemed to be higher up than these other scales. So, But that's, that's E.M. Forster in, in a small nutshell. And the book is basically uh, set in the, the British Empire uh, where Britain has taken over uh, or colonized India. <laughs> so it's a lot of East versus West themes. And it talks about different characters. So Dr. Aziz is one of the major characters. Her friends, a couple of Brits, uh, Miss Moore is kind of one of the notable ones, brings in a friend, uh, Adela Quested. And through various interactions, they uh, have tea time together. They hit a, uh, what was it, a hyena or something like that in one of their escapades. Mm. And they venture off in a, into visit some caves, which is where the book starts turning a little bit in terms of its its flow. And uh, during that escapade to the caves, uh, Adela accuses Doctor Aziz of assaulting her, right? And that's never good <laughs> for for anyone. Um, so he Aziz gets put in jail, uh, and his friend Cyril Fielding comes to his rescue. There's a bunch of court proceedings, and in a surprising turn of events. Uh, Aziz wins, and India is triumphant <laughs> in that. And the uh, book continues with Adela going back to England, India, Cyril as well, and then the rest of the book sh shows Aziz spending his time in India, thinking about, hey, did Cyril go back to India to follow Adela because there was something there? It <laughs> turns out that wasn't the case, but uh, Aziz and Cyril never uh, again kind of truly become friends again because they can't until India is free of British rule. <laughs> so there's obviously a lot of details that uh, I skimmed over and glossed over there, uh, but that's kind of the, the, the larger turn of events. And I don't know if there's any other moments that you'd want to highlight as, as part of the synopsis of the book. Those are the major moments of the book, like chronologically. I guess a few little things to highlight would be that Dr. Aziz is a Muslim. Mm. So he's he is the main character. He's the He's the person who's falsely accused. So basically, the Adela lady, there's this whole other plot line where she is actually betrothed to be married yep. to this other British guy. She's coming to India to meet this guy who's who has like a small political position in India. Right. But she she doesn't love the guy. And as they interact, she realizes she's really not wanting to marry mm -hmm. him, even though she's already agreed to do it. And it's, it's because this is on her mind when they go into the caves that she kind of loses her mind for a bit, comes out of the caves accusing Dr. Aziz of assaulting her. Um, at the, the whole time as the reader, we know he didn't do right. it, right? Like the book goes to some extent to really paint a picture of Dr. Aziz as being a kind, maybe a little bit awkward, but generally bumbling, nice guy, mm -hmm. right? And now that he's been accused of this thing, this sets off this this dynamite stick of tension, like racial tension, yep. right? Because suddenly, this is colonial India. A white woman is accusing a a native of assaulting her. Everyone has to take sides. The British people automatically look at the Indians as being uh, subhuman, right. lesser, you know, yeah. lesser barbarians. So you know, this fits their description of what a barbarian would mm -hmm. do. The Indian people automatically are going to be on Dr. Aziz's side because 
you know this it's basically like the oj simpson case <laughs> right it's not even about the case anymore it's just about which side you're on and which skin color you sure. have the one interesting character is this cyril fielding person who kind of stands in between this he's the one british guy who is on aziz's side yeah. and because he knows aziz quite well he's insistent that aziz is is innocent throughout and there's this whole sequence which leads up to the actual court case where everyone's preparing for the trial. The trial hinges on what Adele is going to say at the trial, but she actually has a turn of conscience uh-huh. during the trial and just basically says, actually, this isn't, this isn't fair. He didn't touch me. He didn't even come into the case with me. So the case just falls apart. Right. right? Um, and it should be actually a happy occasion for Aziz and it should be a happy occasion for his friend Cyril Fielding but because of the way it kind of plays out, they actually end up having a falling out as a result of it. You kind of touched on it yep. in your description. And it just goes to show how complicated relationships are between people of different ethnicities and races at any time, but especially during this like, you know, tension-filled era in, in British India. For sure, yeah. A, a lot of things to unpack in the story and, uh, well, me not necessarily um, knowing too much about British in, in India and my closest, uh, I guess, encounter with it. This is going to sound really stupid, but there is a <laughs> Netflix uh, movie called RRR. <laughs> and okay. it was set up in colonial uh, India and it was a very action-packed movie. And I think the movie ended up winning like best score um, for for like this <laughs> Bollywood dance thing, interesting, and All it right. uh, kind of mirrored a little bit where there was like an Indian that befriended a um, uh, British lady, so I, I had um, some hints of that during the middle, but obviously it it it, it went a totally different direction. But yeah, I was picturing part of that movie <laughs> as as uh, I was reading the book, so uh, that that's just something I wanted to add, throw in there for fun. <laughs> So what did we find interesting about this book? Anything specifically jumps out at you? At the beginning, I mean, to me, it was a little bit, uh, I mean, I didn't know too much about colonial India uh, at, at the time. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, it's uh, city Chandrapur. I don't think I've ever heard of that before. They were trying to be descriptive mm-hmm. about like uh, different landscapes. What the exactly, like. yeah. yeah. So quite descriptive but it's like okay i don't really have much context into india so i couldn't exactly picture it and the movie didn't really (laughs) help because they weren't really (laughs) focusing on that side of it but then it started getting into like the relationship like the brits and and the the native indians and stuff of that and like you hear the the tensions the condescension and all that sort of stuff so it's like ah must have been a really tough time to to live in that Mm -hmm. time period and then, yeah, when the accusation happens, like, okay, this is starting to get interesting because <laughs> what's, what's going to happen? Um, and the, the tensions back and forth, like you, you could hear, uh, well, you could read it, I, I guess, in there. Um, so I, I found that interesting in terms of the conflict and uh, picturing when this novel was actually written, I could see like, oh, wow, this could have been like pretty... Um, uh, well, you kind of said said like the lighting of the the, the dynamite stick, <laughs> right? It could have mm-hmm. been uh, quite an interesting time because I think a lot of the tensions were still was still uh, relevant during that time and and 
time period, right? What what were your Absolutely. initial thoughts as you were kind of going through it? I I think thinking about it now, and even at the initial part reading it, I really enjoyed the setting. I mean, I I told you I'm I I really like reading books about India. Yeah. So when I have a chance to dive into these kind of novels. I enjoy it because it's such a different place from what I'm used mm. to, right? Have you been to like, India? I have not. Okay. I have not. Um, but just like the way the country functions, it seems so chaotic, like even modern India, mm. right? Not to mention India of the past. Um, just so different from what we're used to here. So I always found that the, just the setting itself is, is an interesting thing. Mm. But then you throw in that this setting is taking place in the British India sure. 100 years ago. So this is pre-partition and you got these British guys ruling the place, but and and they think that all the people around them are beneath them. And and this is like this is not an uncommon thing, but for us in 2023, like our generation, we kind of grew up in the post-colonial world, yes. right? Like we grew up, you know, around the time the Cold War is ending, you know, the traditional colonial powers were fading. And sure, there's a lot of talk about, you know, what's the American influence on certain places or even today, like what's the China's influence on other countries. But this idea where like 100 years ago, actually, the British went to India, set up shop there, created their own government. Mm -hmm. They had their own courts, their own judges. They had their own their own clubs for the people to hang out in. And that's different from what we think of today when we think about how countries interact in in. In 2023, there's much more this idea that, you know, countries are entitled to have a bit of say, you know, in terms of who rules them, right? A lot of these smaller countries, or I guess in India, because not even a small country, a large country, they did gain independence at some point. Mm -hmm. And they st we're still dealing with racial issues. We're still dealing with racial tensions, but not in as overt of a way as it did when the actual colonial power was sitting right there, sure. right? So I quite like the setting of the book. That's probably what I'll take away from this thing is is it paints a very interesting picture of a very specific time period, a very specific setting, and really takes us into colonialism. Like, I feel like our generation, we think of colonialism as this chapter in a textbook, yeah. right? The British ruled these countries. The British set up in all these islands, right? The British set up in India, and they set up in Hong Kong. But we don't think a lot about the actual day-to-day -day life of what, people live through right if you were muslim if you were hindu or if you were white in these countries what was your day-to-day -day existence like and how could you you know navigate all these tensions that were existing on an ongoing basis so i i thought that the book really does paint a very interesting portrait of that tension yeah and i guess what came to mind was i don't know if it's a parallel uh universe or setup where the colonialists are kind of like the one percent like the high net worth folks where they have their their clubs and their uh country clubs and the golf courses and stuff mm -hmm. where they hang and the lesser the the middle class folks wouldn't be necessarily al allowed in there right so that would probably be the, the closest thing that we have to it right now uh but pretty close it, pretty close right yeah. like you, you like it I, it almost feels like okay we don't even need the colonial aspect of it these tensions still exist yep. and it's sort of one of these examples of same as it ever was same as it ever will be that's just the way the world works yeah i was chatting with a friend um and they were talking about their respective group of friends and they have some folks that are kind of high net worth people and they were recounting their lives and how unrelatable it is because 
they went out and they were to buy their latest artwork piece and they weren't sure whether to pay tens of thousand dollars of it or like close mm. to a hundred. And it's just like, what, you don't have to deal with that problem either? It's like, no, <laughs> that's not something I generally wrestle with on a regular basis. So it kind of uh, pointed into, there are different parts of the world that some people are in and you might be completely excluded from it because they're in their gated communities, countries, clubs, and they, they function in their world and, and you function in those. So I can imagine that uh, even in something like colonial uh, India, uh, you would live in yours. Yeah, you you hear of these folks that, that are in these clubs and have these uh, very opulent parties. But uh, yeah, to experience it would be a totally different thing. Right. And it's always these interactions along the borderlands, mm -hmm. right? Yes. The people who are making contact with the other group, they're kind of leaving the club or they're leaving the mosque and they're interacting with one another. Yes. That's when things start to happen, yeah. right? And I, I thought... I thought E.M. Forster did a good job of illustrating this whole tension by using the story of this doctor and this assault. It, it tells a lot. Yeah. What I found was interesting is the whole, I guess towards the end, it seemed, to be honest, a little bit anticlimactic, where the whole court case was just like, oh, sorry, uh, I, I, I can't remember, or he didn't actually touch me. <laughs> it was kind of like I think the whole there's thing. like another hundred pages after that. Yeah, that's a right? big chunk yeah. of the book that, that uh, continues on, because I thought it would kind of progress and that would be the, the final climax. But no, there was a whole bunch more uh, story afterwards. Mm -hmm. Well, the story afterwards I thought was kind of interesting mm. because the the easy explanation would be that once he gets absolved, right, freed, then Dr. Aziz would go on being good friends with Fielding, yep. the only guy who supported him. But actually, he becomes deeply suspicious of Fielding yep. because he, I guess it does make sense in the sense that he's deeply suspicious of all white people going sure. forward. So it would be very difficult for him to really befriend anyone. And then he hears a bunch of rumors about Fielding um, taking up you know, the, the accuser as his mistress, which turns out to not be true, but he thinks it's true. It's enough to to basically damage their relationship irreparably yeah. going forward. I thought it was interesting because the it could have been a much easier thing to write, like a really straightforward line if they just made Aziz the hero, but they actually made him kind of a, more human mm. in a way, as a person who couldn't really get over this thing, even though it had happened to him and he'd been absolved, that ultimately there are still long-term consequences to this thing. And I think the writer really resisted the urge to oversimplify any of the characters. Like, like Aziz, he's wrongfully accused, didn't do the dirty deed that he was said to have done, but he's still a bit of an oddball by the end. And you kind of feel like, you know, he's not a perfect person. Fielding is not a perfect person. They all have their flaws. So I, I thought he did a really good job of painting the actual human being elements of it. Whereas if we're watching like a Hollywood movie or uh, a Bollywood movie <laughs> version of this, sure. it would be much more straightforward. I, I felt like the characters here had some real back and forth tension to them. Yeah, and I guess it speaks to uh, humanity uh, or th the truths in humanity because, uh, as you said, the story could have pretty easily or cleanly be finished after the court case, maybe a little bit of wind out, and then mm -hmm. done. But I, I think it, it does add to maybe the, the rest of the human condition where like yeah. sometimes like that has a, a scar and leaves a scar and you may or may not be able to recover from it, which causes other other issues or other 
adventures uh, later on. Maybe not issues, but just some things that you need to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt like so. My big thing was I thought that the setting and colonialism itself was a really interesting thing for us to take a look at as modern day people because we kind of forgotten about this. I also thought that the characters were really well painted. Like I said, they they have multiple sides to them. Aziz stands out because he's just he's he 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 pulls a lot of different emotions out of you as a reader. Initially, you sympathize with him. He just seems like a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets falsely accused, you, because of this you just feel yeah. like, you know, you're on his side yeah. and you want justice to be done. But then and actually during the whole time where he's in prison, you you don't you're not with him. You're following the story through the eyes of everybody else at that point. Yeah. Then you return to him in this final section when we're just hearing what he has to say about life in the aftermath of being absolved and we're like you know what this guy is a bit of an arse (laughs) at this point (laughs) and he really should let it go and like his buddy helped him a lot and he just can't see that and he's just become kind of like this bitter old man but that happens right and i I thought that actually was a a a very well thought out well-rounded character another character that i thought was really well developed was actually the accuser adela Mm. right this type of character could come off really heavy-handed in a lot of books right you kind of thinking okay it's a ditzy female falsely accusing a dude of something but actually em forster paints her in a pretty realistic way you could see how this could actually happen to somebody especially like a young person with a lot of pressure under them maybe they're not fully you know mentally there they're going through a lot of stress and yeah false accusations end up happening right and it 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 seems plausible to me and everything in this book seems pretty plausible mm-hmm. you know i guess we've lived through like oj simpson and all these <laughs> crazy things and false accusations these things this is the world that we live in yeah yeah and i think one thing well that that I, I could have been adjusted is the relationship between aziz and fielding because there wasn't too much understanding of why they were such good friends uh at least in from from what i could read into at the beginning there was basically that uh, Aziz had opened up to him and showed like a, a showed fielding a picture of his wife that sort of thing but other than that like there wasn't too much so so maybe a I little guess bit more fielding I guess fielding was known to be the person who was very open towards Indian people sure. right out of all the white characters he's the guy who's like actually friends with them he's the guy who doesn't care that much about status yeah and so he he kind of goes against the grain I feel like th- as the reader, I, because I think the book is written for Westerners, okay. the reader, we're supposed to take Fielding's point of view, yeah. right? So we're supposed to take Fielding's point of view that Aziz is innocent. Yeah. And I think Forster is able to convince us of that, but he does, doesn't seem to need to show a lot of evidence of it. I, I guess because of the way he painted Aziz's picture to us, mm-hmm is sort of like how Fielding would have seen him. Yeah. And it's enough for us to realize, okay, he's not guilty. He's, he's a bit odd, but he shouldn't be guilty of this crime. Yeah. And then another point of confusion for me was uh, kind of the, the namings where sometimes they use their first name, sometimes they use a second name, and not real <laughs> for me, taking a while to realize that they're, that's, that's actually the same, same person. <laughs> <laughs> where it's Adela Quested. So you, they talk about Adela, and then they talk about Miss Quested. And I thought for a while, a couple of pages, that they were the same person. Then after, uh, sorry, different people. And then going back. And then Fielding and Cyril, where 
that was a little bit quicker because I was <laughs> aware with the with the different names. But overall, I mean, yeah, you could you could definitely see the character uh, build up and and uh, E.M. Uh, Forster painting the picture of all of them. Um, which, yeah, I mean, me on this journey to have my eyes opened and and being more into like literature and humanities, I I, I can see, um, I don't know. A, better pictures being painted of all the different characters and the development as, as well as, as kind of go into the development of this, uh, of all these books and, and getting more, more cultured in the process. So what, one thing I will say about Adela's character, which I found really humorous is that the book goes to great lengths to tell you as the reader that this British woman is very ugly. Right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's, it's specifically like, like not uh, ugly. She's, she's just not, not pretty. She's not attractive, yeah. and this actually becomes a thing, yeah. right? They're like, like, is it possible that Doctor Aziz wouldn't be able to, with like, wouldn't be able to like hold back even with any British woman, even this ugly British woman, <laughs> right? And so, but but you know what? We laugh at it. This is the kind of stuff that people actually think sure. all the time, right? Like people who. who I'm sure the colonialists are looking down at the Indians and who's attractive, who's not. And the Indian people are looking at the white people doing the same thing because this is what human beings have done for all eternity. Mm -hmm. And it comes out in this really crass, nasty way when when the tension explodes. But this stuff's all real. For sure. Yeah. I mean, this is one where as we're getting into the books, like I, th the past one, Sun Also Rises, I wouldn't have made the necessary connection that you had where like the the situation there's always that one girl <laughs> that, that that the group of guys is, is going after and, and everyone knows or most people are quite well versed so in this one there's well could there be someone where someone irrespective of their looks or whatever could be accused because of different class different whatever uh i mean the, the ruling class can always point the finger at someone yeah, this, and, and they'll this be is one of on. those is like he hooked up with her no way <laughs> yeah absolutely not right like in your mind you have all these different <laughs> you know classes set up based on appearance and looks and then you're trying to pass judgment i mean that's how we function as people and it's crass but it comes out here so totally yeah and uh, another parallel that i was drawing is i wonder if like em forrester basically lived the life of uh, like Hemingway's character where, oh, let's just gallivant and write books because he had a s significant uh, inheritance. <laughs> so he could just vacation and go elsewhere. Obviously he would have not gone to, to Spain. He would have gone to India instead, but he could have well, like uh, wrote uh, about his travels that way. You didn't mention this in your, in your bio of the guy, but I read in, in the preface of the version of the book I had that E.M. Forster was actually a closeted gay man. Mm, yeah. And that informed a lot of his position about things, mm. right, as he wrote his books. At, at some point, apparently, he wrote a novel that was about a gay man, and he knew that this would never be able to be printed. But you could kind of see that even the action of writing this particular book is in a way, because he is taking us through on Dr. Aziz's side, sure. that he's siding with the people who are the minorities, yeah. right? And it makes me think that, you know, himself as a gay man who couldn't come out in that time, in that day and age, that he, it, that, that would contribute to him feeling, you know, empathy for people who are marginalized, like himself. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely see the uh, 
support for the called the underdogs of the of the world to say okay yeah they have lives they have families they have uh, mm-hmm. they they love people they care for people just like the, the ruling class right so they they shouldn't be put into a, a lesser box just because uh i don't know they were quote unquote conquered or whatever <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. another thing i found interesting and this is where I, this is the one part of the book that i kind of sometimes makes me cringe a little bit is is you can hear it in E.M. Forster's voice. At various points of the book, he makes these assumptions about Indian people, mm. right? Like Indian people are emotional, right? Or, or you know, th- how would Indian people process a complicated situation? They would, d- and then he'll risk like a stereotype, mm-hmm. right? And this happens a bunch of times where he contrasts the two cultures. And I feel like that's always the tendency, you know, if you're living in, in a place where there are different groups of people, that you would start to generalize. Like in Toronto, where we live, you'd be like, oh, Chinese people are like this, and the white people act this way because they're white, and the Middle Easterns have a certain viewpoint. And then you just end up making these assumptions. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff in this day and age doesn't fly so well, nor should it. I feel like the book actually goes to great lengths to try to understand the actual people but at the same time, I sometimes hear Forster's voice breaking through with some of the comments, which probably are comments that were bandied about by lots of people in that day and age. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I found that a little bit unsettling. I, I, fo- I thought maybe there were times where he could have pulled that back a little bit. Well, he, he might not have been privy to a lot of the information that, that we are, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, without like news the internet, social media, and stuff—you see a very specific view of uh, who these lesser people are. And even though you want to be sympathetic, sympathetic, empathetic towards them, there's probably still a, a layer of uh, "we're still better than them" that that gets translated into that. I and, guess and that's never yeah. Equal. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. is that I feel like we should talk about this question, which is. Does the book work, given that it's written by a white guy, right? Hmm. Admittedly, he's a closeted gay white guy, but it's still <laughs> a white guy, a British guy writing this book. That presents the book from a certain viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Is that different or somehow more valid or less valid than if the book was actually written by a voice of someone in the minority? Well, I guess there's a couple of variations where one, if he was a, a straight white guy, <laughs> what sure. would the tone been? And then yes, if he was a uh, s- straight uh, Indian, I guess what what would the the voice have, have been like? And I don't know if there's one where if he's a closeted sure. Indian too. <laughs> there are closeted Indians, right? yeah, around that. So uh, I I still think it it works. I mean, I I although I understand that underpinning of there are this these classes based on race and stuff like that i think to the best of his ability he was trying to make the reader as as sympathetic or empathetic as possible for, for, for that now if it was written by uh, an indian could they have been more so possibly yeah i, I mean possibly. could be i mean it's sort of like asking could a white guy write about a black main character through slavery? Like a, if a white person wrote Roots, hmm. right? Um, would it work? Would it resonate? Would we celebrate such a book today, right? I guess that's one of the questions I'm thinking about as I'm reading this book. It, it, because it, 
it, it, is an, it is a bit of an odd juxtaposition, especially given that a lot of the newer voices I've read from India are people who are Indian, right, by ethnicity or by origin. And, and so this is actually the ruling class or a person representing a ruling class writing about the ruling class in a critical way, mm-hmm. right? But is, and, it, and I, I feel like we should accept it as being a valid interpretation, but maybe there's a better interpretation of it if it was written by an actual voice of the people who are being marginalized. Well, I'm not sure if it would be better or worse. I think it's just a different perspective because no matter what happens, two people experiencing the same thing will have mm. different perspectives colored by their experiences and all that which is better which is right which is wrong not sure it's just your your particular interpretation so i think it's still mm-hmm. valid i don't think it takes away necessarily but to your point it's probably you have to uh, just keep that perspective in mind because mm-hmm. um yeah it would be interesting to see if there was a i don't know if you'd call it like a counterfactual but kind of the same uh similar story writ- during the same time period written by uh, like a, a local I think that would be mm-hmm. an interesting thing to contrast absolutely absolutely I, just an interesting question to think about because I feel like in this day and age we wrestle with that question a lot yeah right we wrestle with the question of who's entitled to tell the story yeah for marginalized groups right and this is an example of this issue coming up a hundred years ago I feel like that's where the importance of this book lies is that this book comes about at a time where there isn't a lot of writing like this mm-hmm. right and fortunately you know colonialism didn't last and but there aren't that many examples of writing from the dominant group looking back at his group in a critical manner that was probably the minority of writing at that time and then if you think about british writing most of these famous british books that are on these reading lists that we go through (laughs) they don't talk about this issue they don't really talk about racism that much racism is kind of like a issue that starts to appear in books more in the early 20th mid 20th century i think and you know you go back in the 19th century and and charles dickens isn't really talking about this kind of stuff so just food for thought it could be one of those uh, groundbreaking things where because so few people were speaking about it, then it's mm-hmm. like, wow, what's this new perspective? And yeah, maybe we need to think about things differently. And again, bring it to modern day and pop culture. I'm looking at so many of the, call it like the, the mainstream movies uh, are like celebrating whatever Asian black heritage or something. I like what pops into my mind is like the whole MCU <laughs> where you have Marvel and like Black Panther, right? Like a uh, mm. predominantly black cast, black uh, director and stuff like that. And then like Shang-Chi, the uh, Asian uh, yep. celebrity and stuff like that. Right. But um, like if they had like uh, a white writer, a white director or something probably wouldn't fly <laughs> right? In, in the same way. So um, yeah. So, so those types of things came to mind. Okay, so it sounds like we learned a bit reading this book. Do you recommend other people read this? Like, what's your take on this as a reading experience? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Next question, please. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> so if we go back to the, the genesis of all this, so great books to talk about, like, hu- something, human condition, or what mm-hmm. have you, uh, learning about life if 
you didn't go to school, that sort of thing. Those were some of the criteria that we set out in, in earlier yeah. episodes. Um, I think this is an interesting piece to the puzzle, right? Because again, it focuses on a very specific part of the human condition. And uh, as you mentioned, um, like there are biases. We're all biased. We're all probably like ist, race ist, something ist <laughs> in some shape or form. Mm. And I think that is part of the human condition. So to be able to embrace that, there has, uh, there's a lot of learnings to be taken from here. Now, is this like a must read and you couldn't get it from any other source? I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not too sure about that. Um, there's a bit of action conflict in there more so than, uh, let's say the last one. I mean, there wasn't <laughs> too much conflict in that last one, but it was mm. a totally different pers perspective, right? Um, yeah, and, and maybe I'm just, uh, delaying <laughs> or stalling to, to answer the question um yeah but but right off the top of my head i can't say it's, it's a resounding yes it's a teetering teetering borderline I, I think in the right situation it would be a book i would recommend people to read i feel like it needs to be paired with another book about india i feel like it needs to be paired with like a non-fiction book okay like let's say let's say two people sat down and said, you know what, we want to learn a little bit about colonialism, mm -hmm. right? Then they should read like a little bit of a textbook about the general colonialist environment and then read this. I think that would go really well, like to contextualize a lot of the issues that people experience in colonialism yeah. by showing it through the lives of these characters, yeah. right? Rather than just a straight textbook, which would kind of list out the historical facts of, you know, which islands were taken and what the rule was like and yeah. what government was like in these places now we get the human side of it I, I think it it would work in that type of setting it probably isn't fascinating and interesting enough on its own legs to appear in a list that I would construct for people like you have to read this book and actually almost nothing has been like that <laughs> out of things we've read so it's not it yet yes hopefully not, we'll get to something yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but we're not slagging this book by saying that it's just really hard to find those kind of books. Yeah, maybe our, our bar is too high or a criteria <laughs> needs to be adjusted. But uh, I would agree. I think the the takeaway for me is that, I mean, if if we're talking about something to kind of, kind of learn about ourselves as humans, colonialism is a big part of history, mm -hmm. or at least maybe it is because what's the expression uh it's the victor that writes the history <laughs> because the colonialists were the ones that uh quote-unquote won then the history is based on that and and i'm wondering if there's a, a different history uh kind of as you alluded to based on the the oppressed class and what that what might have sounded like and and how that would be different uh, than mm -hmm. than what would be in here. So, and unfortunately, we probably don't have many of those <laughs> around. But it would be interesting. So, yeah, goes back to, I, I, it's interesting, uh, very interesting topics that are covered. But I, I, I can't put this as like a top shelf <laughs> uh, type enough. of type of book that's there. So, what would you say the same or something different or? I w I would say the same. I. It's not going to be a book that I'm going to run out and tell my wife or other people that you got to <laughs> read this. Yeah. But it's, a, I'm glad we've read it. You know, actually some of the books we've picked at the end, I was not glad <laughs> that I read it. <laughs> um, but this one, I'm actually glad I've read. I, I feel like I learned a bit and I feel like 
we've talked about some things that I wouldn't have thought about otherwise, and those are worthwhile things to contemplate. Yeah. How would you rank this amongst the Call It Six books, the five other books that we've read so far? I would rank it, you know, if we're making a list of the books in order of all time. No, <laughs> based on six, our, our uh, yeah, yeah, our six. But yeah. eventually, eventually sure, when, we, sure. when we get through 10,000 books, like there's going to be an actual numerical Jeez. ranking. Sure, okay. But right now there's only six. I'm going to put it number two. It's going to be Behind the Sun Also Rises. How about Ooh. you? Okay. I... Uh, I don't know if I changed my ranking from before, but I'm still partial to that the the, the animal farm, right, right? As as one, so I would probably put this yeah number two behind animal farm. All right, is, that's is not bad. Put. So looks like yeah. we we co-locate under two, <laughs> but with <laughs> a different one. At the end of one. the season, we can really boil down our rankings for the ten that we yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if I'd go back in see that all of them don't align <laughs> i keep changing each time we go through hey it, rankings are free to change you know for sure like that like some movies win the oscar for best picture but within a couple of years nobody's watching that thing again yeah right and other movies don't win it but eventually become recognized as great movies so maybe things just need to percolate a yeah. little bit sign of the times or yeah maybe the timing <laughs> wasn't right um yeah maybe in a different time period when if I ever went to India, maybe I'd have a better appreciation of this storyline. The the last thing I will say, and is I, is I'm going to take it back. I was I was talking earlier about how we live in a post-colonial world. I feel like in a lot of ways we still live in a colonial world. It's just not as overt, right? It's not explicitly sure. spelled out, but but there's always like a ruling class wherever you live. It's often based a bit on on ethnicity and race, yeah. if not based entirely on that right um that's the world we live in right i mean the black lives matter like these things are going on right now right yeah. and there's no sign of them ending so maybe things have not changed all that much and this book is actually more relevant than we give it credit for like we we've been thinking about it from the angle of colonialism and the actual british people sitting there but if we replace the british with american class or, yeah yeah or or anything right like there's so many examples of this if you go throughout the world these issues are still there you know this is a, a an interesting example of it for sure um but i don't think the world has changed as much as we sometimes like to think it has yeah and maybe these are one of the the human truths that that we have to uh wrestle with and sometimes our eyes need to be opened at saying hey it's right there you're, you're not paying attention maybe that's what we we have to do now, normally, at this point of the episode, we will tell people what we will be reading next. But actually, I don't think you and I know what we're going to be reading next. So <laughs> people are just going to have to stick around and come back in a month to find out. For sure. Stay tuned and be riveted to your seats. India, a nation? What an apotheosis. Last comer to the drab 19th century sisterhood, waddling in at this hour of the world to take her seat. She, whose only peer was the Holy Roman Empire, she shall rank with Guatemala and Belgium, perhaps. Fielding mocked again, and Aziz, in an awful rage, danced this way and that, not knowing what to do, and cried, Down with the English, anyhow, that's certain. Clear out, you fellows. Double quick, I say. We may hate one another, but we hate you most. If I don't make you go, Ahmed will, Kareem will. If it's 50 or 500 years, we shall get rid of you. Yes, we shall drive every blasted Englishman into the sea. And then he rode against him furiously. And then he concluded, half kissing him, You and I shall be friends. <laughs>